Welcome to the Self-Improvement Book Club with Rachel. Today we have guest Joshua Bombino. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yes, Josh is a colleague of mine and we work together at Strideford Counseling. So, so excited to have you on. And yeah. we're going to review a book today. What book are we doing? Uh, we are talking about nonviolent communication, uh, a language of life by Marshall B. Rosenberg, PhD. So Dr. Rosenberg. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll definitely get into that. Before we do that, can you tell me a little bit more about you? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, um, well, uh, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker and um, I've been with Stride Forward since uh, I think about November, this past November, but I've been uh, working in various capacities in the behavioral health field for, uh, I think, 15, 16 years now. And um, I, uh, I I got the license as a social worker in 2017. But even before that, I was um, I, I was working with uh, young adults with uh, serious mental health conditions, working in, in a residential home. That was sort of my introduction to um to the world of of mental health um and i kind of came by it in a funny way actually so i uh my undergraduate degree was in theater and so i was a professional actor and director uh i you it'd be unlikely that you'll find anything of mine out there i wasn't on broadway or uh or hollywood or anything like that but um but I did, uh, I did make a living at it for for a little while, and just you know, life had kind of its funny twists and turns, and um, I ended up having to put sort of uh, put it aside, and uh, eventually I moved down to uh, Maryland for a change of pace, and a friend of mine was like, hey, you know, until you until you figure out what you're going to do with your life, um, you know. Uh, my fiance can sort of help set you up with a job. And, and so I started teaching life skills to people who were probably like, you know, five to 10 years younger than me, you know, at, at best. And um, it was really challenging, but really rewarding. And I uh, kept at it. And then eventually I thought, well, if I'm going to keep doing this, I should probably make a living wage and I'll go back to grad school. And so I got licensed as a social worker and, um uh and here i am that's a short version of it i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah so actor turned therapist right yeah yeah and i you know i actually imagine there's probably a fair number of us out there uh, in the world uh um as you know so for me i think it kind of like um it uh it, it sort of checks the same box in in many ways because uh, one of the things that really inspired me and that I loved about theater was just sort of being with people and these sort of close intimate relationships in, in terms of the, you know, the production of a show, you certainly had that, but, you know, as an actor or a director, you're trying to sort of get into the world um, of another person, you know, and, and I always loved playing uh, bad guys or the, you know, the villains and <laughs> uh, plays and you have to sort of get this approach about like, well, you can't think of yourself as a bad guy. You have to think of yourself as like, well, that, you know, this, 
this person wants something, right? You know, and they, um, you know, and why are they going about trying to get in this way that, you know, maybe is hurtful or, you know, contrary to the the wishes of the or the des desires of the uh, protagonist, right? Mm -hmm. um, the good guy, and and I think that that has really served me well in just trying to uh, understand or you know have compassion for the lives of you know people that I'm working with. You know that uh, that I, I tend to see that people are just doing the best they can, and they don't always have the uh, the tools or the insights necessary, the skills to uh, to to have a better way of achieving what they want, um, and you know, so therapy I think in part is about helping develop some of that awareness, helping uh, give a person new tools so they can be more effective and successful and have richer relationships with people around them. Right, like discovering their needs and being able to meet their needs in a more healthy way or communicate it better. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, you know, for kind of like tying into the book, um, Nonviolent Communication, I think that's really at the core of um, of this um, way of communicating. Well, I guess, you know, we're going to get into it, but it's, it's uh, really about trying to understand the sort of the real human needs you know seeing people around you as not being in conflict with you but um but having the same basic needs that you do and they're trying to get their needs met and you are and how can you do that together yeah definitely so cool background i will confess that i've always wanted to be an actress or yeah. be <laughs> I was always into theater. I actually, they didn't cut seniors my senior year of high school. So I got to do a play, but you know, I had no lines or anything like that. And I tried out a couple of times in college, like for different plays. And I was always mm. rejected. <laughs> uh, uh. My dream didn't work out, but I do see how they're related, like putting yourself in other people's shoes and just being curious about human nature in general. So that was a good parallel you drew. Yeah. Uh, you know, just uh, something we can do, Rachel, if you're interested. Maybe we'll we'll put on a uh, Stride Forward Counseling production. The play of your choosing. That is my dream. <laughs> Get all the staff. We're, we're going to do it. Guys, I know you don't want to do this, but we want to do this. So let's, that's a good team building, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, Catonsville, watch out. We're going to put on a play. So I love it. Dreams can't come true, right? That's so right. Yeah, what types of books? Since it's a book club, what types of books do you like to read? Um, I, I a lot. I've, I've got a lot of varied interests, actually. So, uh, I mean, I read sci-fi, fantasy kind of stuff, right? So, uh, one of the ways I got through the pandemic is that uh, me and a, a good friend of mine from college started a uh, Star Wars book club. <laughs> so oh. we've been reading all these uh all these uh Star Wars books. Um That's and there's a lot of them out there. So <laughs> um yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, you'd be uh you'd be surprised. Okay. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into the the weeds on it and I don't want to <laughs> expose myself uh, as being you know 
too much of a geek i guess but uh but yes there's there's a lot of star wars books out there so i mean i, I read that and, you know that's sort of like the fun and kind of guilty pleasure and I, and I read other stuff too you know so um uh, i recently just reread um the uh the hobbit and some lord of the rings as i'm trying to get my um i'm trying to get my son interested early and so we watched this old uh cartoon of the hobbit that came out in like the 1970s <laughs> but uh um but i was uh thinking about that and uh reading that but um and, and various other stuff but besides that um yeah i i'm i like to read poetry um and uh i think on a personal level that it's sort of my creative outlet these days instead of acting as i um try to dabble in writing poetry uh i'm not sure if it's that great but uh but I enjoy doing it. And I think that, that that's what matters most. Um, and uh, so I, I, I like reading poetry. Walt Whitman is a big one. Uh, uh, it's just a, a favorite that I kind of always go back to, uh, Mary, Mary Oliver. But um, I'll read other fiction too, classic fiction, um, Great Expectations. Um, uh, I just read uh, Grapes of Wrath, which uh, was... It's really interesting, you know, that was written during the uh, the Dust Bowl, you know, in the Great Depression, and a lot of the a lot of the struggles that the workers were going through in that. I mean, it's just really it's still resonant today. Sort of thinking about some of the, the challenges that people face out there, um, but I also read, you know, professionally, I read a lot of um, books about therapy or self help. Kind of a mix of like pop culture self-help because i think that's the kind of stuff that some of our clients might like to read and i like to be able to sort of give recommendations or, or around those things um but also um, i'll read more technical stuff and uh philosophy uh, um like marcus aurelius so he was there's a big i think there's this big movement in like stoic philosophy is uh that uh you know there's like podcasts out there and newsletters the daily stoic and it's really you know philosophy back in, in ancient greece was about how to live well right yeah and it, it wasn't supposed to be some like abstract thing that people would talk about in universities but it was really about you know how do you live and i think it was kind of a precursor to therapy in fact the people who developed uh you know um uh um rational emotive therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy um both of them have cited um stoic philosophy as being sort of like an inspiration to their work and sort of developing these sort of modern day therapies and it, and it makes sense i think if you, if you sort of look at the two side by side um but a, a great i actually thought about doing this book for the podcast too and maybe we could still do it sometime was um how to Keep House While Drowning uh, by Casey Davis. Uh, and it's it's amazing. It's a short read. Uh, it's just, uh, I think she wrote it during the pandemic. She was, uh, she had just given birth. She was experiencing, uh, so she's a licensed counselor herself and had been di diagnosed with ADHD. You know, I mean, she lived with that her life, throughout her life, but she, um, she experienced um, postpartum anxiety and depression after giving birth during the pandemic. 
And she like posted something on Instagram. I think she even has a TED talk you can check out, but she posts something on Instagram with like a picture of her house and sort of like what a mess it is. It's sort of like a joke, right? Yeah. And people started like kind of sending these like hate filled comments about it. And then she sort of turned it into her mission to kind of to start putting out there this sort of like realistic, like, uh, you know, so on the surface, it's a book about just strategies about how to how to clean not like the Marie Kondo like you know everything is sort of like minimalist and perfect but like how real people live people who've got kids people who work and aren't don't have Instagram worthy houses um and it's uh and I think she really just brings this sort of like healthy mindset about you know sometimes if you've got these challenges in life you just have to do what you can to kind of like get through your life and um I've actually recommended it to several of my clients. I talked about it to my therapist who, who I go to to sort out my own problems. And uh, he went and he read it. And now he's recommending it. To, he said he's recommended to like four or five clients himself. It's just so engaging, so heartfelt. And just like uh, you, you're like reading it like, yes, this is what we need to hear. You know, we don't need any more of this sort of like, you know, the perfect Instagram standards of life for ourselves. You know, it's like real talk. Um, and I think actually the ideas she talks about uh, are applicable to other things. You know, it's not just about cleaning. It's about kind of like managing our hectic modern lives in like a sane way. So maybe we would do that one next. <laughs> yeah, I'll get on reading it. That sounds great. I like to squish perfectionism, especially when it comes to cleaning. Cause <laughs> yeah. I, I do have that challenge, so. Yeah, um, if you could always see what's off camera here. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, I have my computer just so, so, you know, you can't see the mess behind me, but, um, okay, well, that's, that sounds like a great recommendation. So I guess we'll jump to the book, Nonviolent Communication. Um, any kind of, I mean, there's some main points in it. Any kind of takeaways you want to start with after reading reading the book? Yeah, well, so probably just start with like, well, what is nonviolent communication? So the book outlines like, you know, this concept of nonviolent communication or you know, NVC, he says for short, but, uh, um, and uh Oftentimes, you know, I think the most uh, sort of straightforward application of it is it's just a really useful tool for managing conflict, you know, and communication. And I've used it with some, I'm using it currently with some clients about, uh, um, you know, managing diff difficult ca uh, communication at work or at home. Um you know, this guy, Marshall Rosenberg, he's been around for a long time, and, you know, and and he'll admit, too. So as we go into this, some of the stuff is not going to sound like groundbreaking stuff, right? It's like the use of I statements, for instance, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but, you know, he's used it in a lot of different settings, uh, you know, in interpersonal relationships and managing uh, school violence, gang violence, uh, he's used it in prison system, international conflicts like uh, um, uh, Israelis and Palestin Palestinians. Uh, you know, he's, he talks about using it in uh, in Africa. I think he was might have been involved in some of the peace and reconciliation 
work in sort of post-apartheid South Africa. I mean, so it's, I think it really has sort of a broad application. Um, and there's a, there's like a process for how to communicate to be able to get your needs met. But um, one of the things that he talks about is, you know, he's a nonviolent communication has a purpose and a process, but, uh, and the purpose is in, in brief is to help us uh, connect with others in a way that makes compassionate giving natural, right? And and he's using the word nonviolent. He he's he's taking that from uh, Gandhi, right? Who who uh, used um, nonviolent resistance uh, in in India, uh, but uh, it but he's using nonviolence in the sense of like compassion as opposed to alienating uh, communication. Um, so I, I think sometimes if we think about language as being violent per se, right? That like, well, maybe we're talking about like outright threats or we're cursing or yelling at somebody. And I think that's pretty easy to kind of get your your head around as being violent. But um, he would say that I think even some of our communication that doesn't raise to that threshold of anger or violence can still be violent because uh, it alienates us from ourselves, from our needs, from the needs of others. It, it alienates us from being compassionate towards other people. And I think really that's his his goal is like, how can we have sort of a more compassionate giving world that helps people's basic needs be met? Um, and, you know, so there's this sort of overall purpose and, um, you know, and there's these sort of principles that are part of it that sort of support the a life of compassion, um, collaborating with others, being courageous, authentic in how you sort of communicate and show up in the world. Um, and it's also a means of influencing others uh, by sharing power with people. Mm -hmm. as opposed to um, using power over other people. Um, you know, and so, and, and this is something that probably happens a lot, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm a parent and I could sort of find myself sit, you know, telling my children, oh, you have to do this or, you know, uh, you know, you better get over here and put your shoes on, like, because you know, <laughs> we have to go or you've got to, you have to go to bed. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about the applicability of working with young kids because they're, I mean, sometimes there's, I mean, there's some development that maybe they're not able to sort of engage in this sort of more sophisticated communication, but, but certainly, you know, I mean, certainly it happens with, uh, you know, within my marriage, right? I mean, you know, in my relationships, like we, you know, we all have, some of these challenges and we sort of resort to tactics about you really need to, or you have to We're sort of making these sort of uh, demands. And he would say that there's sort of like an implied threat behind that of emotional pain, even if it's not some sort of like physical or I'm going to like take something away from you or punish you. Right. Um, so, so that's sort of the big idea, and then and then there's just these this sort of technical process of 
um, you know, he says there's sort of four steps to nonviolent communication, and that is making um, observations without evaluations, um, identifying our feelings, you know, and the way that um, we might be feeling as a result of another person's uh, speech towards us or their actions. Um, uh, and in uh, that underneath our feelings are uh, needs, you know, that we have some real basic needs that everybody shares. Um, and that our feelings are sort of really closely tied to to uh, to, uh, to those needs. You know, he says, good, uh, good emotions come about when we have our, our basic needs met, you know, and so those basic needs can be things like, you know, um, things like uh, eating, right? I need sustenance, I need clothing, I need housing, I need, you know, shelter, you know, air, yeah. right? Um, but also things like, you know, I need companionship or I need a sense of safety. Uh, I need laughter and fun. You know, I need um, I need meaning in my life. Um, and and so when those needs are met, we have positive emotions. We're happy, joyous, uh, hopeful, inspired. You know, thankful. You know, touched. Uh, and when our needs are not met, uh, we experience not so good emotions. You know, we experience uh, depression, sadness, anger, uh, you know, anxiety, um, confused, irritated, lonely, right? Uh, discouraged or hopeless, right? So, you know, so we make these observations about the world around us without evaluating them or, or judging them. We sort of identify, you know, how the world uh, is contributing to our feelings. And we, you know, we sort of identify, well, what, what is the need underneath this that, you know, if, often if it's conflict, right? Like, what's the need that's not being met? And then it's, you know, making requests of other people to help you meet your needs. Um, and it's and it's about making requests, right? It's it's not making demands or trying to coerce people into meeting your needs, um, because he'll say it right. Like we're all responsible. We're all responsible for meeting our own needs. We're all responsible for our own feelings, um, and which can be uh, challenging pills to swallow sometimes. But uh, um, but uh, but it doesn't mean we have to do it alone. But the best ch chance we have of, of getting other people to help us meet our needs is to um, to kind of work with them compassionately, right? So and that's the, I think that's the, the sort of quick summary of it. Well, you did um, excellent with that summary, yeah. Um, you know, when I read it, uh, one thing that stood out to me was those kind of judgmental statements you talked about. And... I think there was a study done and it said like more judgmental words in the language in different countries there was actually more violence in those countries right yeah 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 that's pretty uh that, that's pretty um 
wild. I mean, I, I, I get it. Right. You know, so um, I'm a firm believer in this, this sort of about how language shapes our reality and what's possible, you know, and when we can put something into words, it, you know, oftentimes it seems like we just have more sort of feeling of control over us or we've all had these moments where somebody has sort of found the right words that we've been searching for. We have this sort of nebulous feeling sometimes and then we get the right word and all of a sudden it's like a whole new world opens up to us, right? Um, as a result of having that language. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that if the end result, and I think it's hard to trace, but yeah, if people are using more hateful, threatening, alienating, violent language, that it's going to sort of, uh, it's going to sort of create those sort of possibilities, you know, and people talk about like, having like using words of gratitude or prayer or mantras or people who are into the like the secret <laughs> with that like oprah <laughs> you know that uh i mean i think that idea is sort of pretty um prevalent in all those kind of worldviews right that our language shapes our reality you know we sort of speak things and in to be in um i would love to see that study myself and just yeah. sort of i get uh, uh that's one of the things i kind of get nerdy about is just want to sort of and then see if it's you know been additional studies or something with it um yeah so and i think you know he uses instead of talking about he doesn't really talk about violent communication so much but he does talk about alienating yes. communication judgment right yeah so judgments is judgment would be uh one form of alienating communication and and he's a you know, when you think about alienating, he says it, it's any communication that prevents compassion. Yes. Um, and that, uh, and I, I particularly like what he said, he says judgments are alienated expressions of our unmet needs, right? And so, like, if I say, you know, you better listen to me, you know, and how how common is it for that somebody might say something like that, right? You better listen to me. Well, that's a that you better is an implied threat. We don't know what it is, but even if it's like, you know, there's some like emotional toll, right? Um, and, but at the heart of it, it, somebody is trying to express, you know, I have a need to be hurt. Mm -hmm. I need to be listened to. And I think we can all relate to that experience of wanting to just be, heard in fact in therapy well so i get this a lot right like <laughs> you know in uh um in my my own marriage you know i i tend to you know my my wife brings something to me she's having trouble with or she had a difficult day at work herself or something and i just go into like the <laughs> problem solving right and she's like no i just want you to listen to me i don't need you to fix this for me and and i have to like remember all right yeah you got to take a step back, but yeah, so that, but if we don't tap into that, our own needs, right? If it's just about you better listen, then we're really doing ourselves a, a disservice, right? Like, uh, and it makes it harder for us to, you know, meet our own needs because uh, if I say you better listen, 
and then you know and i could sort of cow you into submission and you shut your mouth while i can say the words i want to say it's probably not likely that you're actually hearing the words that i have to say you're not like present and fully trying to understand the stuff that i'm saying and you're you know at best you're maybe being obedient but i think from our relationships we want more than obedience we want people to want to listen yeah. to us we want people to to want to sort of engage with us and um and have a, a, a rich life together sometimes we settle for obedience because we don't know how to to kind of get the the things that we we really want yeah, um, yeah so like the, the the better statement might be like i've had a really hard day can yeah. you speak me? I just want to talk to you about it. Will you, will you listen? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and, and I think that, you know, we can hopefully, you know, I hope that I, so <laughs> if I'm using my own example, hopefully uh, I can, I can honor that request uh, myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's true. Like sometimes you think, you know, what someone needs like problem solving or you're, you're wanting to go to that because sometimes we do need problem solving. Right. Yeah. Uh, but someone told me once a happy marriage is always asking, what do you need right now? Is it me to listen? Is it to me to problem solve? And to, to maybe put that out front when, when we are talking to each other to, for us to know what we need in that moment. And that's a hard thing because sometimes people just vent and they don't know what they need, but the person is doing it all wrong. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and they, you know, he says the other kinds of uh, alien communication, uh, he sort of, so he talks about moralistic judgments, right? You're good, you're bad, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, comparisons are, I think, are really difficult. We don't often think of those as being violent, but but we know, right, that when people compare themselves to other people, it's not really good for our mental health, right? Like, you know, they've done a lot of research with this with like social media now, right, that there's a lot of depression with an anxiety that young people experience because they're constantly being fed this sort of stream of people comparing themselves to others whose sole job is to create a fantasy on you know on, on that screen for us right like was we were talking about this sort of like Marie Kondo sort of uh you know that perfect minimalist you know I don't have anything in my house that's not serving me and uh you know and I think there's something good to that there, there's something to a process like that but it's very difficult to for all of us to just live up to these standards same thing with like beauty standards right i mean this is um it's really well known with women being sort of confronted with uh these images of uh beauty body image right but i, I think men get it yeah, get I it as well right right but um i think there's a lot of com public conversation about uh about um female images and rightfully so but it's across the board you know we just create these unrealistic standards and we're comparing ourselves and we just go around feeling bad about ourselves you know and then we judge other people for not meeting those standards you know you know, body shaming of others, for instance, or, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? Um, uh, so we talked about, too, so communicating our desires as demands and the sort of like an implicit sort of emotional threat or 
um, at, at the very least. We also use sort of language about people deserving certain things, like you deserve that or you don't deserve this, mm -hmm. um, which sort of, I think, ties into some of those moralistic judgments. Um, and then the, the, the last one he sort of, uh, sort of big category talks about is this sort of denial of responsibility, right? Well, you made me late, you know, you know, you, you know, you make me so angry, right? And, and I think that's tricky because, uh, like, on one hand, other people's actions have real effects on us, right? And we don't want to just say, like, well, it doesn't matter, you know, what the other person does. Um, but at the same time, you know, we we don't really have a lot of control over that. And um, the, uh, um, you know, so I, I think a good distinction or useful distinction is what other people say or do is a stimulus, right? It, it has, it can have an effect, right? But it's not a cause of how we feel. Like we still have a choice of how we're going to receive uh, the you know the actions of people the the how we're going to receive the way people speak to us you know we can receive it with blame right you know you make me so angry but we you know we can we can blame ourselves you know but we can also receive it with a sense of other people's feelings and needs right you know if i if i if I train myself to sort of, you know, develop this, you know, greater sense of compassion. And so now I see when people are engaging in a hurtful way, you know, in a, in a way that feels hurtful to me, that I can see like, oh, you know, at the core of this, you know, that other person has some fundamental need that's not being met. I care about that person. I trust that they, I I trust that they care about me. You know, like what is it that they're feeling? What is it that they, you know, that they really need deep down that's causing them to sort of act in this way, you know, you know, towards me, and, you know, and I think when we get can develop that compassion for others, that still holds people responsible to say like, you know, it's not okay to yell at me, right, um, but you know, we can also still see them as a human being in that process, right? That that their yelling is uh, is an expression of their own unmet needs, you know, that they're alienated from. Uh, that maybe I can get my needs met of feeling safe and secure or loved or respect in the relationship while also helping them get their needs met you know even if they don't know these tools of nonviolent communication you know that uh, when we start to embody them uh it allows us to sort of see the world through a different lens see other people's actions through a different lens have more compassion and sort of uh, you know and when we don't respond with defensiveness it might cool things down enough so that we can then have a real connection with another person. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, a good point. Cause that is the point, right? We don't want to 
have language that would cause someone to be defensive, but then if someone does, it's our responsibility when we're feeling defensive to maybe switch it there, right? If you're you yeah. know, someone is presenting you with maybe language that's hard to swallow, then you can kind of turn on your own, hey, I'm feeling defensive. Maybe I should respond in a compassionate way to the other person. Yeah. And I think that that it that's a I think it's a fine line that mm-hmm. can be really difficult for for clients to hear, you know, and you know, it's it sort of requires some like gently ushering them into it i also think cbt this i think nonviolent communication works well with cbt you know that there's sort of it's learning new behaviors it's also helping develop greater emotional awareness um but it's uh but it also gives us an opportunity to look at our own thoughts and the way we filter experiences right mm-hmm. and uh you know so CBT sort of challenges us to think like, are we thinking about this, these things in unhelpful ways that are producing negative emotions, right? Well, what's an alternative way that could be more helpful? Maybe that's more helpful or more balanced that opens up other possibilities for you. And I think that nonviolent communication is this other way that we, you know, it's it's sort of another avenue of, of how to think about our, you know, our world and our interactions. Um and and that's how I, you know, typically am sort of framing it for myself when I'm working with a client is that, uh, I, I mean, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm not always as like that explicit because clients don't always want to get into those sort of technical details, right? But what, but um, when I'm sort of thinking about what would help this person, you know, um, yeah, I think about how, how can I sort of like coach them through this sort of different way of looking at things. Um, and and I knew my role, I, uh, my role as a therapist um, and the use of nonviolent communication uh, that, so one, I think it's, I think it's widely applicable, not just if somebody is uh, engaged in like direct conflict with somebody else, but I, I think that it also really helps with just greater awareness you know i I think the one of the nice things about nonviolent communication like you can go online they've got lists of feelings and needs which uh you know and so you sort of can have that you can then use and say well what am i feeling right now and sometimes i'm like looking at this list right (laughs) what is it you know like the feelings wheel you know right Uh, (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) um just drive forward counseling you can look at our feeling wheel right that's right that's right um so so i so one of the things that i do is that when when i hear the kind of even if i'm not sort of specifically coaching somebody on nonviolent communication like i'm listening for their you know expressed judgments or alienating language and then trying to work with them to sort of reframe that it in, and to translate it into you know what are the sort of core needs um you know to help them sort of understand and use their emotions well you know somebody might say yeah i feel angry and we'll say and i'll present this framework you know not so good feelings are really result when we have core needs that aren't being met. You know, you know, what, what do you think, you know, behind this need? And we just sort of kind of start to sort of peel back the layers and sort of find out, you know, and then when we identify what this need is, 
you know, then we can sort of have a conversation like, well, what are the different strategies you could use to, to meet that need through other people on your own, you know, developing new relationships, you know, new actions in the world, activities, you know, um, uh, I also try to model it. Some with some clients will be explicit. I'll explicitly sort of teach them the this four step process, uh, and uh, but I try to model uh, the uh, the use of it as best I'm able, and try to raise just awareness of this sort of. I think it's really like a way of being, right? It's a new way of being in the world that really affects how we see the world, how we process it. You know how we interact with others. I think it it can sort of shape our values. You know to, to sort of ha have more enriching relationships. So yeah, um, and I'm not out to uh, to turn people into disciples or <laughs> or anything. But I just think I I find that there there really is there's so much in this for for everyone, even if I'm, even if I never sort of speak the words and I'm on communication and try to like turn people onto it, right? <laughs> like that, uh, that, uh, that people get a, a lot of sort of, it's like a breath of fresh air when, when you're really feeling experienced and being felt and understood, you know, yeah. and like you're tapping into, to like the core of your, your being. So, uh, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Um, you know, recall of the book and the main points. Um, so thanks for opening us up to this book and taking your time to to share all your knowledge with the listeners. And oh yeah, absolutely. I, I love doing it. You know, and I would say for people who are interested, the book is really, uh, really. E it's an easy read. It's uh, you know, it's you can pick it up, put it down. It's not something. And you have to sort of like stick with, I kind of go back and I revisit it now and I'll just sort of like look at a chapter here or there. Uh, I also have it as an audiobook because, uh, and, and it, which is narrated by um, Marshall Rosenberg. And um, he, he's just like a, he did not, he did. Yeah. He, okay. Yeah. I yeah. listen to the book. So I, I read and I listen, I, I cheat sometimes. So what's well, hard, you know, when you're busy, like I, I struggled <laughs> with that. Right. Like I, I was a, uh, I was always like a big reader and then I always felt like listening to audiobooks for a long time it was like a dirty secret right yeah. <laughs> but uh but now I'm just like, like you know working being married having kids like I don't have the time sometimes to be able to like sit and hold a book and so if like if I'm you know if I'm going for a walk or uh you know, driving somewhere or doing some dishes. It's just, it's easy to do that. And then, you know, whatever. I'm, I've come to terms with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I, I have to, like, at least with some of the books. So, or I couldn't yeah. Yeah, yeah. get them all done. But, well, yeah. last question. What's next on your reading list? Um, well, I, so I just, uh, I'm actually, my wife got me this book uh, for um, uh, Christmas. And so I want to start, it's called Cultish. <laughs> it's about, uh, it says, uh, uh, it says, what makes cults so intriguing and frightening? What makes them powerful? 
the reason so many of us binge Manson documentaries by the dozen and fall down rabbit holes researching suburban moms gone QAnon. <laughs> so <laughs> I love uh, I uh, that just I don't know I find cults <laughs> fascinating uh, and um, and uh, uh, yeah I just uh, like what is it you know how do people sort of get like wrapped up in in this stuff so so that's my next uh that's my next read i'm really uh excited to find out find out more about cults <laughs> and so and if you're in a cult if any of those listeners out there are in a cult and you want to break free call me <laughs> i'm the therapist for you counseling especially yes yeah. <laughs> well thank you so much for joining today and happy reading everyone thank you so much